Thanks for tuning in to WIHI. Coming up, you'll hear a conversation between Madge Kaplan, IHI's Director of Communications and host of WIHI, and Dr. Neil Baker, a leader in addressing the traditional power dynamics within the healthcare workforce. If you're interested in hearing from Dr. Baker in person, reserve your spot at the annual IHI Summit on Primary Care, where Dr. Baker will be presenting multiple sessions. The summit takes place April 16th to 18th in National Harbor, Maryland. And to learn more, head to IHI.org summit. Now, here's WIHI. Here's the thing about psychological safety. That's something healthcare improvers are talking a lot about these days. The ability of staff to speak up about problems, report near misses, raise concerns about issues that could result in real patient harm, well, that's only as good as a leadership that recognizes that the most powerful forces at work and in our human nature go against this very openness. So in this fragile new world of honest, open dialogue getting tested in healthcare today, greater transparency, among other things, it's important to remember that this often disrupts or disturbs hierarchies. Who's a superior and who's a subordinate? And how work typically gets done. This is precisely the sort of messy and unfamiliar terrain that Neil Baker, who coaches organizations on relational and cultural matters, wants to help people navigate. His own history is a case in point. I was supervising a manager of a clinical team, and uh, we uh, had a new improvement initiative going. It was really important to me. I was very enthusiastic about it. And Eventually, over a couple of months, it was clear her team was not making progress. And when I brought this up to her in a meeting, she looked so unhappy, I was taken aback. And at that point, a kind of switch went on in my head. And I, I slowed down to ask her more questions. And I discovered the issue was that uh, there were, she was getting resistance from her team about this initiative, especially from a couple of the physicians. And she was embarrassed and felt bad that she hadn't been able to respond effectively. The pressure is on to do things differently right now in healthcare, and that's where we're going to dig in. On this edition of WIHI, we've titled How to Navigate Power and Enhance Psychological Safety. And I want to welcome you to WIHI. We're an online audio talk show and podcast from IHI, available on IHI.org and on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, as well as IHI's Director of Communications. Neil Baker, you were once a passionate practicing clinician, and then you discovered that your own exuberance, maybe some impatience, could inhibit others. What happened? Well, Madge, uh, delighted to be here, and uh, I want, I'll tell you a story about that from when I was both practicing as a physician but also supervising a, a manager of, of several clinics. And uh, before I start, I wanted to give the definition of psychological safety, which I use. And um, it's perfectly aligned with what you had described earlier, but I think it gives some behaviorally specific terms that are useful to me. So the way I think of psychological safety is that it is, uh, it's when a person feels safe to be able to express concerns, ideas, disagreements, negative feelings, and know that they will be explored and understood as opposed to ignored, debated, or discounted. And so it's concerns, disagreements, ideas, negative feelings. 
and partly I emphasize that because those factors are so important to solving safety problems, innovation problems, developing motivation, and um, it's consistent with the literature. And the story I'm going to tell about this um, comes from a time, I, I, it's important to know that uh, I, at the time of the story, I felt and I think I was pretty adept at facilitating environments of psychological safety as a leader and was pretty sensitive to it. I cared about it a lot. And that's one of the themes we'll be talking about today is that even when you're skilled, the nature of who we are as humans and our environments can pull us out of that. But at this time, I was supervising a manager of a clinical team and uh, we uh, had a new improvement initiative going. It was really important to me. I was very enthusiastic about it. And um, in one of our one-to-one -one meetings, the manager expressed concerns about the initiative. And I, in retrospect, I don't even think I registered those as significant to me. Wow, we're going to move ahead with this. This seems pretty minor. And I just quickly gave some ideas for fi quick fixes and then moved on to what to what I felt were more important issues. And again, this was, it wasn't like I was intentionally planning this. That's just how it came out. Now, over the next few months, the manager would occasionally bring up the same issues. And then I responded with more quick fixes. And then if I, you know, took time, I'd taken time to really understand how I was responding, I was consumed by many other demands. And I was getting a bit frustrated outside of my awareness that she hadn't solved these problems on her own. Uh, or maybe I was aware, but it just didn't register very strongly. Eventually, over a couple of months, it was clear her team was not making progress. And when I brought this up to her in a meeting, she looked so unhappy, I was taken aback. And at that point, a kind of switch went on in my head. And I, I slowed down to ask her more questions. And I discovered the issue was that uh, the, she was getting resistance from her team about this initiative, especially from a couple of the physicians. And she was embarrassed and felt bad that she hadn't been able to respond effectively. So I apologized for not understanding this sooner and thanked her for her courage in speaking up. And with the support, she summoned, summoned even more courage and told me she felt I should be the one to talk to the physicians. And I realized she had held back because of the self-doubt that had been generated by this, because of concerns about my busyness. And I have to say, my business did lead me to these quick fixes and perfunctory responses that would inhibit somebody from asking you to take on another task. So she and I created a plan that included my meeting with her and the physicians. And uh, over several weeks, the team started making progress. Incidentally, I also realized I have to acknowledge that this group of physicians was a fairly negative group. And I also probably was not wanting to meet with them and not admitting to them that to myself or to her. And so that was probably also fueling the lack of speaking up and communication. Avoidance everywhere. Human nature, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful story. It's great how it turned out and that you eventually got to that place of mutual understanding about something. But one thing about your story that um, interests me is that there's there's more than one power dynamic. Now, maybe that's typical. So there's this manager and she's afraid to admit to you who had more power than her that others with equally more power than her wouldn't cooperate. So 
you did make things right eventually, but it's easy to see how that manager might have really felt almost paralyzed uh, by that kind of situation. Is it always so complicated? I think yes. Uh, there are usually multiple layers of power dynamics going on. Sometimes it's just in the relationship, but you know, an individual, a one-on-one relationship between two people is so inherently complicated. I, I think I'll say yes. It's always complicated. Okay. <laughs> Easy. And then in healthcare, we've got so many disciplines, so many different lines of authority, so many different power things coming at you. Yes, it's really complicated. All right. So what about you're going to tell us a little bit about the wiring of our brains, just in case we think we're entirely in control of all this. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the things that helped me understand this, because I I had to face this in my career where here I'm committed to psychological safety and my manager was suffering in silence for a number of months and I wasn't doing what she needed me to do. So the way I understand this now is that it's the way our brains are hardwired. Uh, that's one fact. I'll give two more in a minute. But uh, our brains are hardwired in a way that there's evidence from multiple different um, disciplines that show that even in groups of people where there are not power differentials, people are very prone to not speak up about disagreements or concerns or feelings, particularly negative ones. And as I said earlier, those types of things are important to being able to find one, one, one's way to intrinsic motivation and also to the highest level of creativity. So then you add in power differentials, and what happens to people with more power is they tend to talk more, listen less, and have trouble and think everything's okay when it's not, like I did. I said, oh, her concerns are minor, and I gave her the quick fixes. She didn't say anything, so everything's okay. That's uh, automatic. It's regardless of my values about psychological safety, my skills in getting people to speak up. It's like that wiring can kick in. And then people with less power uh, uh, will tend to either withdraw or come out attacking. But most, the most worrisome is the withdrawal. There are two other factors which uh, lead that add on to our hardwiring of our brains as our professional culture. And I don't include just healthcare. I think widespread in Western professional culture, we tend to be focused primarily on problem solving, task, role, performance, orientation. It tends to be the objective linear problem solving. And psychological safety draws on a different aspect of ourselves. It's more subjective. It's more about feelings. How uh, It's nonlinear. It may not be entirely logical. And it's kind of hard to stop one, the train driving towards performance to stop and say, hey, where do you disagree? Where are you having problems here? That's hard to do, even if you want to do it. So those are the hard, uh, oh, the last factor I'd say. So one factor is hardwiring. Another is our professional culture. And the third is the immense stress and complexity in our workplaces. That activates the hardwiring and also kicks all of us into that problem-solving task orientation where, like I did with this manager, okay, I heard your problem, let's get it done, let's move on to the next thing. But I can imagine it being tempting to not take certain circumstances or uh, things that are bothering you as seriously as others. So even your story about working on some improvement and things being stalled on the manager's part 
Do we take that as seriously as a nurse being afraid to remind a physician to practice hand hygiene before touching a patient or perhaps a nurse who's afraid to question a medication dose that's been prescribed that seems unusually high? I mean, real harm is at stake in these instances. Should we be distinguishing between uh, types of of, uh, sort of, you know, talking at cross purposes? I think of psychological safety as an all-the-time thing, and we should be just as concerned if it's not happening all the time in these relatively less immediately endangering circumstances. One way to think about it is that um, that uh, if we take psychological safety as fragile, that uh, our hardwiring, power differentials, complexity and stress pull us out of speaking up and asking about things in as much detail, then um, if the prevailing environment is not very psychologically safe, that's going to raise the threshold for being able to activate your speaking up if there's a safety concern. Um, We already know from the literature about, from evidence about, you know, with very experienced physicians in the operating room, for example, attending anesthesiologists tend, will not speak up to the attending surgeon, even with years of experience in obviously dangerous situations. So I believe it's this is an all-the-time thing, and it's a matter of you want to lower that threshold from moving into that speaking up when uh, a dangerous situation comes up. That makes a lot of sense, and you can certainly get a lot of practice if you begin to understand that in all kinds of situations. All right, let's get wonky a bit. Break down the types of power operating in a workplace and what we need to understand about the different kinds of power. Sure. Um, now, uh, there there's no standardized definitions of power. <laughs> so that's one thing. All right. So these are definitions I've chosen because I think they're practically, they're useful in a practical sense in terms of one's role and actions in the workplace. So one is p- positional power. And that is where you have legitimized authority in an organizational hierarchy to make decisions, to hire, fire, give performance reviews, allocate resources. Another Related to that is professional power, which is legitimized expertise. It's legitimized by credentialing. So the MD carries a lot of weight to it. Uh, being a chief of something or a administrator of something, that kind of power. And then there's another type of power, which is I call relational power, which everybody has regardless of position. And that's the capacity to influence others and help create an environment of empowerment, problems solving that it also facilitates intrinsic motivation. So it includes such things as the ability to listen to people, to care about what others think about, uh, to uh, discover others' concerns and challenge, to make to help people feel heard and understood by asking questions, to be able to influence those with more power effectively. So everybody has relational power. And the there are traps with each of these forms of power. I think I mentioned them a little bit before, but I'll expand, which is with if you have positional or professional power in a situation, I said you're likely to talk more, listen less, 
And it's um, think people really understand and agree when they don't. Uh, some additional things it's, uh, that have been shown from evidence is that, again, regardless of your skills and values, there's a tendency to have more difficulty empathizing with people. So there's more impatience with resistance. There's a tendency to think you have all the answers. People tend to ask for less advice. They don't ask for feedback. Now, with relational power, um, uh, say you have you don't have positional power, you have relational power, you can use that at any time. But it's also been shown that regardless of your skills and values, in the presence of power differentials, you'll tend to fall into more fear or anxiety or anger. And it's either withdrawal or attack or getting on the attack and arguing. Uh, again, the most concerning here is uh, withdrawal in terms of patient safety. But there's some other aspects of that is not being aware of and owning your, your um, relational power and not uh, setting your own personal vision for what kind of relationships you want to have. So uh, by virtue of having less positional power, we can all tend to be more passive about our own vision for what we want to create in relationships. It's easy to conclude from what you just described that one is good and one is bad, but I bet it's not that simple. No, it's not at all. Uh, there, uh, in fact, the way I would see this is that um, there's, they all have a certain, uh, in terms of accountability, uh, leaders with positional power, for example, have a critical accountability in how they behave because people with more power tend to have an outsized impact on whether we have psychological safety. They also can make decisions. They can help set uh, norms in the environment and enforce them that so people do act with safety. And so that's a critical accountability of power. We tend to think of power as a bad thing because it's hierarchy or top-down. This is not about top-down. This is about using the power for a specific purpose, which is to generate psychological safety. Relational power also can be used constructively or destructively. You can, uh, it's like the critical thing we're talking about in safety is speaking up when there's uh, about to be harm. That's, if people aren't doing that in a patient safety circumstance, it's going to hurt everybody. That's a tremendous amount of power, actually. But we also said that even when there aren't potentially harmful or endangering circumstances, how everybody behaves affects that threshold for anybody to be responding with speaking up when they need to, when there's um, a, uh, a patient safety problem. I know from having spoken to you, you're a coach. <laughs> you're all about improvement. And uh, dynamics can change. People can learn how to do things differently, even if it doesn't come naturally. So let's start with those with more power. What are some things they can do, um, either to be more relational or to just start being more conscious of the power dynamics? So... Uh, all these things I'm going to talk about, I, in my experience, everybody out there listening can do right now. Uh, it's a matter of practice. It's not that they're easy to do, but you can do them. But one thing when you have more power is to sustain awareness of this fragility of psychological safety and of the impact of power. And to it's just a habit of not assuming everything's okay unless you ask. So things you can do in a conversation with an individual or team is make sure you set aside the rush to decision-making. 
always ask uh, people for where their concerns, what feelings do you have, where do you have disagreements and challenges. So you explicitly and repeatedly ask these things. Amy Edmondson is one of the researchers, main researchers from Harvard on psychological safety, says that even the most high-powered skilled professionals have to be asked repeatedly these things. It's not like a skill where you learn it once and then you just do it. Some other things is typically leaders like in that one study should be able to should say, I can make mistakes. I need your advice. I need your input. Again, repeatedly doing that. Also, there's a way of asserting your own personal views in a way that if you just say, this is it, this is the way I think about things, it's not going to, it's at risk from uh, inhibiting psychological safety. If you express your view and also say, did you understand? I want to know where you disagree or where you have concerns. So you're creating, that's more likely to create psychological safety. What about the person with less power? So again, like the person with more power, it's important to know the impacts of power on, on you. And I've been in this situation where uh, if I'm afraid to speak up, I have to be really acutely aware of my tendency to withdraw or not speak up. The antidote for me to that fear and for many people is to really work on our own vision about what we most care about. I care about patient safety. I care about innovation. And I care a lot about environments of psychological safety because that pulls me through the fear. That's it. That's the counterbalance of the fear. I'm pulled ahead by that desire. So, you know, we often think in terms of creating organizational vision goals and things like that. I believe we must have our personal ones, both for the results we want to achieve and the type of relationships you want to develop. Another thing is to be aware of the tendency to, uh, the other tendency from fear is to want to push our point or argue it. So I, I always start when I'm influencing somebody with more powers by understanding their goals and what's important to them and their challenges. Incidentally, these are really ways of influencing anybody, but it, particularly with people with more power, because like me in that story, they're going to have, they're likely to have less patience about slowing down. Second, is be explicit about our intentions to help. Like those with more power need to be explicit repeatedly about inviting people to speak up. Those with less power need to be explicit repeatedly about their intention to help. To also uh, assert personal views, as I said before, here's the what I believe, and to ask for concerns, disagreements. And then for in both these situations, checking understanding. So um, these are what I call practices, because um, you oh, you tend to get better. You're never immune to the circumstances of power differentials. But the good news is you can get better and better at doing this more frequently, more often, and falling into that withdrawal or not acting in the best ways. That, that happens less often. Should this be an explicit arrangement between... Uh the more powerful and the less powerful or a team that might feel uh, that it needs to kind of gain some empowerment. Um, I can both imagine everybody getting very self-conscious and yet as quality improvers, when things are more explicit of what we're trying to do um, and how we'll know if we've actually made things better, uh, I can see how 
uh, arranging and knowing that we have some new rules of engagement might help? Oh, they do. Absolutely. People tend to call these norms. I also uh, think that's connected to a bigger vision. Like uh, uh, we will ask about and hear everybody's concerns, ideas and disagreements so they feel understood. Everybody should feel understood and feel safe to bring those up. That could be a norm. But the vision is we're going to have a psychologically safe environment where everybody's motivated, everybody's contributing, something like that. And so um, these types of things can be established at an organization-wide level, but they're not going to work well unless leaders are actually practicing it frequently in meetings. How do you avoid as you're practicing, practicing, and maybe you're getting kind of good at this, how do you avoid slipping back into those old habits, the gravity of the hard wire, especially when you're under pressure and deadlines? When I have been that person in my work life where I've had a lot of pressure and deadlines, um, I think sometimes uh, a lot of things go out the window. Of course. And so I would say, if you can recognize that, you're 95% of the way towards assuring psychological safety. Because I've made my biggest mistakes when I think I'm cured of these problems and I'm not <laughs> going to make mistakes. Okay. So yeah. it is, it's a practice. Uh, it's developing the habits. It's kind of, it's, I think in some ways it's a little harder than diet and exercise. You have to, uh, it's really before meetings, I check in with myself and say, um, okay, I remember I, I, I feel urgent about getting things done. I recognize that, but my, I desire a participatory environment of safety. I'm going to slow down and listen. In fact, Madge, I'm, I do a lot of um, coaching on a video webinar with my computer, and I've got a note underneath the screen that says slow down and listen. <laughs> so I've got these reminders right in front of me because sometimes I'll ask a coaching client a question, and then within a second, I'm answering it. And then at the end of five minutes, I have no idea what's really going on with my client. <laughs> trade. Your trade secrets. Love it. Well, I do feel challenged and uh, quite motivated, and I hope others do too. I want to thank you for this conversation. It's an ongoing matter. We're all going to work on it, I'm sure, uh, thanks to you and, and others in this space. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Madge. I've really enjoyed it. Neil Baker is IHI faculty and principal at Neil Baker Consulting and Coaching. He's got a great handout to remind you of some of these key points and what to practice. It's posted with the show audio and a few other resources on IHI.org slash WIHI. Neil will be leading two sessions at IHI's upcoming Summit on Primary Care just outside Washington, D.C., one of those sessions on the risks of power in shaping culture, and the other one on the risks and magic of small actions, which sounds quite interesting, too. For the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, thanks for listening. I'm Madge Kaplan. Thanks for listening to WIHI. And don't forget, if you're interested in hearing more about Dr. Baker's research into power dynamics, consider attending the IHI Summit on Primary Care, April 16th to 18th in National Harbor, Maryland. To learn more, head to IHI.org slash summit.